Greetings, this is Olive, the Feminine Princess on the Art and Science of Femininity, sharing with you the treasures, riches, and secrets of feminine creativity and knowledge for women who follow Christ. Judges 21 and it's the daughters of Shiloh. Now I battled with sharing this story because it starts and ends in pretty much the same way and it is a little bit sensitive and these women uh, that begin the story and that end the story um, were offered up in ways good or bad that were bigger than themselves. And so even though the story is centered around this theme of something being taken from these women, something beautiful has been created from it, and I would like to focus on that as well. I think it's important to discuss this story because it is in the Bible, it was recorded in the Word and left for us to read. So I think it does demand our attention. So this story begins with a concubine and in the word there's many references to a concubine but if you look in the Hebrew a concubine can actually have the same rights and status as a wife. Actually there are eight types of marriages in the word of God and I will list them here for you so you can look at that and match them up to some of the scriptures that you are familiar with but um, the concubine that we read about may not necessarily fit your description of a concubine it could have been uh, a man's wife so the story begins and I'll try to condense it because it's it's very lengthy and I don't want to focus on all the dramatic parts of it I just want to focus on the beautiful parts of course and um, look at its scientific and artistic value so in a nutshell what happens is a man goes and visits another an older man and um, he actually is on his way to do something but the older man convinces him to stay with him and not lodge in the street and um, the older man had a daughter who was uh, never with anyone never known a man she was a maiden and was given to this man and so because this man was traveling in the city a lot of the residents found out about it and actually knocked on this older man's door and saying hey bring the new guy out we want to know him intimately and the older guy protected him and say no do not do so wickedly um, this is not right but I have a maiden, a daughter, who is also this man's concubine. You can do with her what you want. And they said, no, we want the man. So unfortunately, the father, as well as um, the husband of this woman, forces her to leave the home and be with a group of men who do what they desire with her. And um, in the morning, of course, she is... Um, she is no more unfortunately and what happens is her husband which how he can allow this to happen to her is is beyond my understanding but he is so 
outraged of what happened, which puts a question in my mind because he's the one who allowed it, but he is so outraged that he cuts her up in pieces and sends her to each one of the tribes. And uh, the area that they were in was in the Benjamites um, territory. So he sends it out to everyone, including the Benjamites saying, you know, these men of uh, Galbish, they come out and they ravish my concubine and this is what they've done to her. What do you say about this? And basically he was inciting them to come and war on behalf of this woman who passed based on what they did to her. So all of Israel was outraged, but unfortunately, were not moved. They didn't do anything about it, didn't respond to him. All of the 11 tribes, they came out and they fought with these men. And at the end of them fighting, they realized they didn't come out and fight with them. So they swore, they made an oath among them saying, we are not going to get give any of our daughters to marry any of them. They're gonna be cut off from Israel. We're not going to intermarry into that tribe. And so time passed and interesting enough, they had a change of heart and they said, well, we made this oath, but we don't want the Benjamites to be cut off from us. We want to continue having 12 tribes in Israel. So what are we to do about this? So what they decided to do was they didn't want to break their oath, so they didn't give their own daughters in marriage to them, but they looked at the Benjamites and they said there were only 600 left. So what happened was they talked among themselves and they found out there was uh, one area that did not join them with meeting the Lord in Mishpah. And because they didn't meet them there, they felt like they were not joined in covenant. So they went to that city and they uh, destroyed it. They um, killed the men and they took only the virgin daughters. They didn't take any of the women that were married to these men because they had already had seed by them. So they took the women and they gave them to the Benjamites for wives and unfortunately it was only 400. So there's 200 Benjamites left that didn't have wives. And so what they did was they realized that there were women in Shiloh that come out once a year and they, okay, they come out and they perform dances among the vineyards and it was just for women. It was just for these virgin maidens uh, dancing and enjoying themselves like having a private festival. And because they were aware of that, they went there and captured those women and brought them home to the men. And so that's what this story centers around. It's women being taken against their will, not desiring to go into the situation and definitely not expecting it and ended up being with someone that they had no clue about. Reading the end of the Daughters of Shiloh, it talks about the women in verse 23, and I'll just read it to you. It says, the children of Benjamin did so and took them wives, and these are the wives from the Daughters of Shiloh. 
according to their number of them that danced, whom were caught. And they went and returned into their inheritance, and repaired the cities and dwelt in them. So it makes no reference about these women leaving the city. They didn't rebel. They didn't say, you know, I don't want to get married to this person. And they went back to where they came from. It actually states that they dwelt with these men and built cities with them and they made a home. So it makes me think that even though these turn of events was definitely a surprise and against their will, they kind of went with the flow and accepted it and made a life there. And I think this is part of the pattern that we see of one of the, uh, well, actually two of the eight types of marriages in the Bible. We see this pattern of sometimes women from neighboring tribes or other tribes being taken and being made a wife of the enemy's tribe, if you will. So when I researched Shiloh, um, I discovered that it's a, an ancient city in Samaria, and it's actually south of Lebona. Not Lebanon, but Lebanon. And Lebanon in Hebrew means frankincense. And if you know anything about frankincense, that was one of the gifts that was given to Jesus upon his birth. And also frankincense was one of the ingredients that God used for the altar of incense when Moses was to present himself to the Lord and talk to him on uh, the children of Israel on their behalf. It was also an ingredient used for an offering where they would take flour and meat and pour oil on it and then also add frankincense. No other spice but frankincense. And this was accepted as an offering. So already we see frankincense has this uh, value that is almost priestly, it's almost kingly, it's royalty. We see it as a gift, we see it as being uh, given as an offering to the Lord. So it, it's one of those spices that are premium. And it was a sweet perfumed oil that was very costly. So already we have this city named Lebanon, which is frankincense, and just south of that is Shiloh. So maybe this is a foreboding, but things go south for those women and the city is south of frankincense south of Lebanon. i don't know if that means anything but it certainly sounds like it has some foreshadowing there uh, another thing i discovered is that shiloh can loosely be interpreted as pleasantville tranquil town or fair haven so shiloh already has this connotation of peace so I would not expect any of the women there to be warlike or rebellious, but they already come from a place of peace. So if they've been taken to a new atmosphere, I would just think based on their environment, they've already have a spirit of peace about them and they would bring that wherever they go. So now we have this piece of history that starts and ends with something very, sensitive because it's it's basically taking a woman's rights from her and the Jewish tradition has twisted it and interesting enough I found in Roman history they have a, a similar incident that happens among their people there too now they have turned the situation around in the Jewish community and it is in the month of Av, which is the fifth month um, part of June and then July month and the 15th day of Av or the 15th day 
of this June slash July month is when this event supposedly took place. And so they have changed that to be a festival of love. So they made something that was so heinous and turned it into something so beautiful. And that's a symbolic day where people um, become betrothed and people find you know their significant other and they changed it into this beautiful celebration now and I love how looking at that culture I love how they've taken something very ugly and transformed it and reinterpreted it and made it very beautiful also known in the Jewish tradition is that they don't pick wives based on their beauty alone they first and foremost look for a woman that can um, be united with them and family, be united in their values and raising children. They feel like having children and raising a family is premium and putting a premium on that, they look for those qualities in a wife that could help that vision come to pass. So beauty is not number one that they seek. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, it's a little bit different in American culture. It is basically uh, a man and a woman who are attracted to each other. Definitely in American culture, beauty has a premium. I mean, just look at the media and our films. We put a price premium on women that look young whether or not they actually are but women that look young and and actually choosing uh, young girls to be the star of this type of attention as opposed to older women okay so i tried to avoid saying the word because um it is very uncomfortable and and it's very personal to some people but the word rape in a biblical sense i looked at this and looked at uh, the eight types of marriages and two of them, only two of them um, include rape. And it is when a man takes a woman, has sex with her against her will, but it was different from modern times. Now, if someone does this, of course, charges are brought against them if the woman is uh, desiring to talk about something like this because this is a very, uh, not only sensitive but you know personal thing for one to take that away from another not everyone wants to talk about that especially the strangers let alone authority and when you look at authority and you see all these males uh, I can imagine a woman does not want to discuss that but the ones who do come forward they try to find the man in question and they bring charges and a trial against him but unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it in biblical times when a man did that to a woman it might not necessarily be against her will in the sense that she might have been so in biblical times what ha if a rape occurred a man was responsible to go to a man to that woman's family and to basically make arrangements with the father of the daughter of that family and to basically become his wife. So uh, she would have to live with the person who took something from her, whether or not she desired to be with him for the rest of her life or not. That was just one of the ways that biblical marriages occurred. Another way was 
when a stronger tribe defeated uh, an outside tribe, I'm not talking about within the children of Israel, but when they fought against other tribes um, and they took their women captive, they would sometimes um, either marry those women by taking them against their will, forcing them into a sexual relationship and then having them ha as their wife later, or um, they would use them as servants. I'm just <laughs> explaining to you what the word says. I'm no way condoning it or saying that this is ideal. I know that there's a group out there that say, hey, in Hebrew culture, they've had more than one wife so and God allowed it so that's the way things really are supposed to be polygamy and it's okay and and so women don't want to accept this but this is really accepted by the Lord and how it is but I would venture to say it's not because you see in the Garden of Eden he only create a man and a woman he doesn't create a man and many women for Adam or for this one man he only creates two because he wants to show not only them but us that are reading the story years later that this is his prototype this is what he meant in the beginning is for one man and one woman and we see all throughout history multiple marriages and i've i've got examples i'll share with you but we can see all throughout those examples problems within a marriage that has many wives there were some cases where some women had many husbands as well and some of those husbands that they've had passed on and that's why they were able to remarry I don't recall reading of one that had many husbands at one time but uh, the men who've had many wives um, for example Jacob was one. Now Jacob didn't plan or desire two, three, four wives, which he ended up having four. Um, he didn't plan on that, but he was deceived into that. He really just loved Rachel and wanted to marry her, but Leah, her sister, her older sister, was uh, forced upon him. And if you know the story, you know how that occurred. Um, so in that case, you know, you see a man who, who didn't plan to do this, but you also see the problems with that within having more than one wife. You know, there was rivalry between the sisters and every time they had a child, they would name that child in light of the whole situation that they were experiencing. Um, and then because they got to a point where they stopped bearing, they gave their handmaids, their servants to uh, Jacob, their husband, to start bearing children through them. So um, he married them as well. And so he ended up having four wives. But um, not only was there rivalry among the sisters, but you could see in the children, there was tension there. Um, everyone hated Joseph. And the reason they did was because this was their father's favorite. And the reason being is because that was the son by Rachel, the one he really loved. One can almost understand that, but this caused tension between the other brothers to such a point that they contrived a, a plot against him and removed him from 
their father's presence for a very long time and then Benjamin his brother comes along and so he transferred his favoritism onto Benjamin since Benjamin was the second and the only other child that Rachel had so you see problems in that marriage okay and then you have Elkanah and he has two wives too he has Peniel and he has Hannah and so you see rivalry there um, Peniel has many children, Hannah has none, and she mocks her for that. And so having more than one wife, we see again, has a problem there. Um, we also see that with David. David had a slew of women, and he had so many women and such a desire for them. He even took another man's woman, and, and that caused some reverberation into not only David's relationship with his children, you know the story of Absalom, um, but you also see reverberation within the children of Israel. Some wanted to serve under David, some didn't. So one may think, okay, having more than one wife, it's in the Hebraic culture, but you see all these problems associated with it, and there's so it has a domino effect that um, is not good. <laughs> we also see with Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, I believe. And all of these women, because they were foreign and he was trying to make alliances with different nations and he had an affinity for women, just like his father. And we see the evilness in that too, because it says in the end, they all turned his heart from serving the Lord because they served all these foreign gods and they made him join them. I would venture to say having more than one wife is not, not only having a negative effect that you can't even comprehend until you're long gone, but it was not the intention that God had. It's not what he created in the Garden of Eden, which was a perfect, perfect uh, place that he created for man to flourish. But we also see Paul, who's a disciple for Christ, reestablish a philosophy of one man having one wife. So you see it in the beginning in the Old Testament with the Lord and it being finished and reinstated in the New Testament through Paul's letters. So I think this um, sandwich, you know, if you will, these two things we can look at to see this is God's um, desire, his will and his way for a couple. I mean, even in Genesis, I believe it's in uh, the second chapter, it says for this cause, uh, a woman and a man, they should leave their parents and become one. And so I don't really believe personally a man can become one with a woman when he has many women. <laughs> He's becoming too many. He's separating himself to become parts of one and not a whole. And I, I really believe when one and two come together, they could truly be one and whole in Christ. So we talked about the history. <laughs> we talked about the Hebraic culture or the history of this whole Daughters of Shiloh um, event. I've also wanted to share with you a scientific uh, facet. <laughs> I also want to share with you a scientific facet about what's going on. So, so I looked at scientifically what could occur in in these relationships where a woman is forced against her will into a marriage whether by sex or 
or any other means, but usually by sex. And one of the things I found today scientifically uh, proved that most forced marriages between a man and a woman, and mostly it was the woman being forced, um, the children that they would have would have the lowest birth rates compared to a marriage that was not forced. The percentage of the lower birth rate was about two to six percent and that would be compared to the average birth rate. So that's one consequence in a forced marriage. Another one uh, talked about a plethora of serious health effects that can occur also into them. I don't want to focus on that so I won't mention what they are, but I do want to share that in American culture, surprisingly, 7.4% of marriages in the U.S. are forced. And this study was done in 2017. They're mostly of a marriage between a man and a woman under 44 with an income between 50 to 99k in a urban or suburban area. Now another sensitive issue is that um, when these women go to see a health professional whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or whomever it is when they see a health professional and that health professional discovers that they're in a forced marriage they are um, more inclined not to report it, not to talk about it, not to speak up against it because of two main reasons. They are in fear of two things. One is that they will be labeled as a racist and the other thing is that they will be labeled as culturally insensitive because forced marriages occur mostly in other cultures um, compared to America which surprised me that we have at least over 7% of forced marriages even here. I was surprised to discover that, but they feel like it's a thing that happens with other ethnicities and other cultures and they don't want those cultures to speak out against them saying, you know, this is part of our culture and you're you're just trying to Americanize or Westernize or put your perspective on it and you're not even accepting that this is how it is. Forced marriages were made illegal with a penalty of prison time. So in the US, if there's a forced marriage that happens here, um, those doctors and nurses have a duty to report them because according to the Home Office and Foreign Commonwealth Office, as well as Code for Nurses and Midwives, they both have in their handbooks that doctors and nurses have a duty to safeguard to protect and to care for those who are vulnerable. So in the US, it's supposed to be reported. And if you know anyone who is involved in a forced marriage in the US, I will have a link in the description box of where you can go. The Home Office and Foreign Commonwealth Office has um, information on their site of how you can go about to report this sensitive uh, topic and issue. Now, while it's still a culture for some and not for us in the U.S., <laughs> it roots deep because you can see it all throughout the Bible. And I also wanted to focus on the artistry of these women. I mean, they come from a very beautiful and peaceful place and they're dancing in the gardens and all of a sudden they're getting married, which is 
one of the dreams or aspirations of women back then was to start a family. A lot of them felt that having children was a gift and inheritance from the Lord. And so it was part of their dream to get married. And that may be part of the reason why they didn't rebel when they were taken. But we can look at that and we can see how these women um, basically became very adaptable and transition well into this new lifestyle with a new man in a new place and a new home and starting a new family and to do that and stay and not leave and accept this as your new life i believe that does take a bit of artistry within a woman to do this and to make flowers out of what was dirt I want to leave with this story, a preacher retell a story where he was speaking to one of his assistants and she says that, you know, everyone you speak about, you know, has this destiny and purpose in life, but I don't feel like that's true of me because I am the product of rape. I was born out of a rape situation and he turned to her and he said, that's not true. You know, God actually looked at this situation and what was ugly, he bloomed a rose out of it through you. And that one sentiment, that one perspective, that one life-changing thought just made such an impact on her. She stopped crying and she smiled and she realized that she was God's rose out of that situation. And so what we can learn from all these daughters of Shiloh is to become a rose wherever we are. Today's program was sponsored by Olive Swan. You can visit her at oliveswan.com, browse her store, Pink Peach and Cream, and request a consultation or workshop in the local area. Subscribe to her blog at thefeminineprincess.com, watch her YouTube videos, and find the podcast notes at theartandscienceoffemininity.com.